He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dan Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Hallelujah. Amen. Are we ready for what is coming our way? Are you excited for what is coming our way? We are privileged. We are honored. We are blessed. We are excited. We are humbled. We are happy. Amen. As you can see, the Lord has been good to us. And he's brought in our midst our very own mother and um, wife of our very own father and bishop of the Lighthouse Chapel International. I believe we all know her. She's been with us many times. Our daughter, you can make it conventions and, um, of course, a few call-by-side meetings. Amen. And today happens to be one of, you know, or this evening happens to be one of the evenings. But I just want you to prepare your hearts for what is coming our way because, you know, it's not a common occurrence. Hallelujah. I pray that you will never leave here the same. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Be humble and allow the word of God to come your way. And I know that you will never leave here the same. I want us to rise onto our feet and give Anna to whom Anna is due. And put our hands together and welcome our mother in the house. Amen. In the person of Lady Pastor at Lady Ward Mills. Hallelujah. She's my mother. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. And thank you, Mommy, for coming. God bless you. Hallelujah. Shall we share a word of prayer? Father, thank you that we can come together in your name. Thank you that we can come together with things in common. And thank you that we can come together because of the blood that was shed for us. I pray that this evening will be a profitable time to your people. I pray that this evening every resistance to the word of God will be broken. I pray that this word will get to our very spirits and change us for eternity, O oh God. I pray that you will give us the grace to receive and to do this word. I pray for your anointing and I pray that you will speak to every heart and every life here what you want to say, Lord. For if I'm to use my human wisdom, I may think that your people have different needs. But you are God and you know how to meet us at the point of our need. I pray that your will will be done this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, please take your seats. I just want to speak very briefly on the topic we must endure. We must endure. Um, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, 
We must endure. Endurance is the same as having patience. Amen. Amen. Patience helps you to endure. If you don't have patience, you cannot endure. Amen. Amen. And so Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. Can I have the King James Version? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. Reading from verse 12, actually. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, and I read from the King James. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. No. Continue. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Amen. Amen. Now, the Bible says that we should not be sluggish. To be sluggish means to be slow, to be lazy. And usually when you are slow and lazy, it means you don't have passion or you don't have zeal for what you are doing. Or you are fed up, you are tired, you are not interested. That is what will bring on sluggishness. And the Bible is saying here that, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises amen i believe that we've had a lot of teaching about faith and we need faith to make it in this life because if you're always going to live by what you see and by what you hear and by your circumstances that you experience you can never move on in life i believe that that's why the bible says that just shall live by faith it is a way of life it is not something that you put on and put off it is something that we always have to walk by. And Paul said that we walk by faith, not by sight. But he said that we should imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. So faith, simply put, maybe believing in God, trusting in God, all that is good. But through faith and patience, not just faith. Amen. So believing God is great. Walking by faith is great. But without patience, your faith will not last. Amen. Amen. And patience means that you can wait for a long time. You can endure for a long time. You can be at a place for a long time without breaking down or giving in. That is what it means. And the Bible continues and says that for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promises. Amen. Amen. Abraham is the father of faith. Yeah? But he having patiently waited. The ability to wait. The ability to wait till God brings a miracle. The ability to wait till you see God's promises. 
the ability to wait even when you don't see God's promises here on earth and you are going to see it in eternity because Hebrews 11 says that some of them they saw the promises from afar off and they never embraced it but they still walk by faith so Abraham patiently waited or patiently endured that's what King James said so enduring is one thing but patiently enduring is also another level amen and if Abraham patiently endured God swore by himself as to what he would do for Abraham he said surely in blessing I will bless you not uncertainly or if you are fortunate or maybe but surely with God it was sure but with Abraham he needed patience and faith to wait till God showed up and how many times in our lives does it seem as if God delays when I look at the way he does things I know that if I were God I wouldn't operate that way I wouldn't wait for Lazarus to die be buried three days and when they tell me I say okay I know and then I spend a day or two more where I am and then later I said our friend Lazarus is dead let us go so that we will raise him is it not easier to go when he's sick is it not easier to go when he has not been embalmed and the stone has not been rolled is it not easier to perform a miracle in that why do you bring so many obstacles before you go and raise Lazarus and that is why you and I are not God hallelujah and sometimes the situations in our lives are like Lazarus cases when we call on God he doesn't come the situation may be at the sixth stage he doesn't show up and he waits for the Lazarus to die and when it dies he still doesn't come till three days when it's stinking it's rotten and it has begun to decompose that is when Jesus decides to take a walk and come and often we are tempted to think that he doesn't even care but isn't it surprising that when he got there the Bible says and Jesus wept God in working a miracle doesn't look necessarily at the difficulties but he looks at what he wants to accomplish for us somebody was telling me about a film called Bruce Almighty where God gave the power to a man to rule the world and the man decided that he would say yes to everybody everybody's prayer and when he said yes what chaos there was the insurance companies closed down because nobody was having accidents there were no fire outbreaks there were no, every, the whole world came to a standstill and with our human mind we feel that every prayer must be answered but with God's mind sometimes we look back and we thank God that he didn't answer that prayer amen, amen. you have need of patience so that after you have and done the promise, you may inherit the promises. That's what the Bible says. You have need of it. So that after you have done the will of God, the will of God of calling on him, the will of God of praying, the will of God of raising your hands and saying, Lord, I don't have any way out. All that is the will of God. But after you have done the will of God, it says you have need of patience. Why? So that you may inherit the promises. But usually we are in transit. Because between doing the will of God and inheriting the promises and we give up in transit. Amen. And I realize that in ministry, there are many, many obstacles before you get to where God wants you to get. And you will have much opportunity to give up. 
One of the things the devil uses is, do you think your contribution is necessary? Do you think you are contributing anything to the kingdom of God or to the church of God or to where you are? Do you think what you are doing is significant? That's one of the ways in which the devil attacks us. And then we decide, oh, what I'm doing is not significant. Because I myself am not significant. So let me stop. Because what I'm doing, it doesn't come on my SABC. There are no posters for what I do. It cannot be anything useful. But it's a lie from hell. Some of us think, okay, well, if Benin is doing crusades, Bishop is doing healing Jesus crusades with tracks, then my small outreach in my branch, what will it do? But that small outreach in your branch, those people cannot come and do it. It takes you for that to be done. Amen. And many times, the devil comes to you and says, what you are doing is not necessary. And I know from personal experience that sometimes I feel like giving up. So, this thing that I'm doing is not necessary. This thing that I'm doing is not reaching anybody. It's not helping anybody. Let me just stop and, and do something else or just relax. I'm worrying myself. And I thank God that every time I have such a temptation, that is the day that I'm going to receive more emails, more text messages, as if the people know, and they just say, Oh, I, I'm just sending a text to say don't give up. Oh, I'm just sending a text to say I just listened to this uh, tape and don't stop preaching. Something people keep saying. And they don't know what it does sometimes. Sometimes it comes as a very crucial moment when I feel is it necessary? And if Jesus had looked at his work, said the whole world, only three years, God has waited until I'm 30 before he releases me into ministry. And when I come to at 33, he allows me to be killed. Three years, how can I reach the world? But God is the one building. And he knows the first floor and the second floor and what he's putting on top of each other. You know, so Jesus could have felt that he had failed. Because by the time he was leaving, the whole world had not heard the gospel. And he said the son of man came to seek and to save the world. For God so loved the world. So if he had looked at what God had said his vision was and what he had accomplished, he would have said that, look, Looking at what I've accomplished, I don't think I'm in the will of God. But the 12 disciples, the 500 who believed, they did not really come. The 120 in the upper room, that was the key. Just pouring his life into those people was enough. But if he had looked at that ambitious program, he would have said, hey, how would I do it? When God told Adam and Eve, replenish the earth. The earth? But we are only two. And we've only had Cain and Abel when one has been killed. And after one has been killed, God has given me another one called Seth. How can the four of us replenish the earth? How are we going to... Well, how many nights will we not sleep before we replenish the earth? But God knew how to bring it about. He just wanted them to do their parts. Amen. And some of the, these are some of the things that when you, you look at it, I'm, I'm insignificant. What I'm doing is insignificant. It makes you want to throw in the towel to give up and to say it's not going to work. Now I was looking at the life of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Maybe we should go to it. And I've heard, read some Bible commentary that has said that when they look at the virtuous woman and all that she did, they feel that she's not normal. 
she cannot be a normal woman to be doing all these things. Wakes up in the night, feeds her household, her husband trusts in her, her husband is known in the gates, she goes to the merchant, she's like one person. How does she accomplish all that? But I believe that it is possible with God. Amen. And the many things that the virtuous woman does are not because she's married. There are only two things or three that refer to her marriage. And that is the verse 10 that, um, no, verse 11 that the heart of her husband trusts in her. And then the verse that says her husband is known in the gates. And the verse that says that she wakes up early to give food to her household. And uh, she's not afraid of the future. Maybe four verses. But all the other things are not related to marriage. But as I looked at her life, I decided that perhaps we could take out some of the verses and see what her temptations would be. Your temptation is the opposite of what is good. Amen. So, one of her temptations may be she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. We would like to do good some days and evil some days. But the Bible says she does him good and not evil. Not that she just does him good. Because God knew, so he added and not evil. Because sometimes you do him good, but you also do evil. The two. But she does him good and not evil. Not some of the days, but all the days of her life. And in order to do that, you need to be somebody who has patience. I think that if you are not patient, you cannot marry. And if you do not have the tenacity and the grace to endure, you will give up. Because you say, ah, when I was in my mother's house, all these things were not happening. Eh? Even my mother was the one cooking for me. Now look at all these problems. Let me just go. We give up easily. And that is why many times our marital unions don't work. Because we get discouraged very easily. And then also because before we got married, we were given very false notions. And we never knew that we were now entering a time of trials and temptations. We thought that we were entering a time of relaxation and peace. Where we will put our legs up and be very happy and dainty. And, and even when your, your parents are somewhere, you say, oh, you just be somewhere. You have a few days till I enter paradise. No, but she does him good and not evil. Those are some of the things that try your patience. Marriage will try your patience and your ability to endure. It will. Amen. Because there is nothing that calls upon you to be as unselfish as marriage. Once I heard Pastor Jake preach, he said that marriage will wash you in and out like Omo. I don't know if you know Omo, but it's a type of powdered soap. So it will wash you in and out. And I just imagine if you're a garment being washed, it's not easy. By the time you are finished and you've been rinsed and run ground and... <laughs> you may be faded. Amen. And those are, that is one of the areas there we give up easily. Because we look up to the person and not to God. Uh, lady pastor, I'm staying with the person. He's doing the things. And you are saying I should look up to God. How can that be? And then sometimes your whole prayer topic is this man. 
this man, this man. And then God seems to be closing his ears more and more and more. Because God's idea is not to change the man, but to change you. Amen. 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 And the only way he can change you is through that fairness of affliction. If he doesn't use that, you will stay as you are. We are very difficult to change as human beings. But for God to teach you patience, endurance, the fruits of the spirit, he will take you. He will give you something that you love. And yet the thing also creates pain for you. So you are in the middle. You don't know. Hey! Hey, the pastor, what should I do? Looking unto Jesus. <laughs> it's one of the things we have to endure. is marriage. And then she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. It means that the opposite will be that we don't do anything. It's easier to sit there and not do anything than to go and look for wool and flax. How? And work with her hands with delight. Many of us don't delight to work. And even that's why sometimes we have trials in our marriages because before we got married, everything we just put in the microwave and we eat it. And we ate leftovers. But now you marry, you make food, say, I don't like this, I like this. What type of life is all this? You chose it. (laughs) She looks for wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. The opposite of that will be you don't look for anything to work with. You just sit where you are. And when you are like that, your patience is likely not to be tried because you are not trying anything. And there's nothing that's not working for you. So you've just created a so-called comfort zone for yourself. And you don't look for wool and flax to work willingly with. You see, when there was a camp in Ghana for the missionaries, and um, it was a long camp, I thought. So the only slot I could get for them, the wives was a Saturday evening and I myself I was very tired and I felt well these people will be very tired Sunday they have to go to church they've been come the whole time should they really come for this meeting is this meeting really necessary but I felt that God was saying that it was necessary so when they came I said to them that well I know that you've been anointed you've been released with your husbands and everything it's been great we thank God But the burden that's on my heart is how you can survive on the mission field as a missionary wife. And how you can overcome idleness. Because another thing the Bible says about the virtuous woman, she does not eat the bread of idleness. That is also the opposite of that is that you eat the bread of idleness. Idleness spiritually. Idleness financially. Idleness physically. Idleness mentally. Not exercising our minds. They're all part of the idleness. And all those things make you give up easily. Because when you are idle, the devil will look for depressive thoughts, other things to come your way. So you sit down in your depression, you cry, and you feel sorrier and sorrier for yourself. And you go deeper and deeper down into the pit and you never come out. Hallelujah. She does not eat the bread of idleness. The bread is there. But she decides that I am not going to eat this bread. So I said to them, Let's look for ideas of what we can do. on Because, you know, I always think about them because sometimes you are alone on the mission field with your husband. In the country, you cannot speak the language. 
You don't know the people. You don't even know your way around. And your husband is the only person. So when he annoys you, you, you have nobody. You have no pastor in that sense. Your husband is your pastor, but up to a certain percentage. Because there are certain things that you cannot go and discuss with the pastor. You are my problem. <laughs> pastor, you are really worrying me, pa. You cannot go and say that. And, 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 and expect the pastor to say, Oh, the pastor is not doing right. <laughs> you cannot be a judge in your own course, we say in law. So there's a point at which your husband cannot uh, uh, be your pastor. Because you receive from him, you, but when it's between you and him, you are in a strange land. Who do you go to? What do you do? And often we also forget that because they are also in the ministry, they are also going through the same challenge of change that we are going through. But men are not verbal. And they don't speak. So we feel that they should come so that the two of us will solve our problems together. Women like the ass thing. You know? But a man will not even verbalize how he feels. So when you come and you say that, oh, I feel very lonely. Look, don't hinder the ministry. We are all called. Let's move on. Let's move on. Who do you go to? And it is increased more by idleness. You see, because when the church is small, the members are three. Your husband has preached them. They've given their lives to Christ. He has done Holy Ghost baptism. He's taught them new believers school. He has taught them how to witness. What else is there? Quiet time. What else is there, you may ask yourself, for me to do? But I've seen that you always have a path that you supply that you may not think much of. Amen. But you will have those lonely moments. And it's not only on the mission field. You can be in a big city. You can know many people, but you can still be a very lonely person. <laughs> and you can still be alone. Amen. But I want to say that you can also rise up to some extent and do something about it. The Bible says about the virtuous woman that she stretches out her hand to the needy. She goes to where the merchant ships are. But many of you, you are waiting for the ships to come. You are waiting for people to be nice to you. You are waiting for people to be friendly to you. But he who will be friendly must first show himself friendly. So, oh, lady pastor, they are not my type. Oh, lady pastor, you have to break through and break forth. Hallelujah. So, idleness will let you want to give up. Because you are not doing anything. You find everything boring. You find everything meaningless. Oh, this thing is not worth it. You, you make wrong evaluation based on your idleness. The Bible also says that she is not afraid of the winter or the snow that is to come. She is not afraid of the changes of seasons in her life. I guarantee you that my greatest um, challenge is adapting to the various seasons in my life. And every time I, I, I ask God, how can I explain it? How can I articulate it? How can I make people understand what I'm saying? I'm not able to. I use words, but it's only to a point. I cannot explain when I say that my greatest challenge is adapting to change all the time. And even sometimes, I cannot remember the bare facts. 
You understand? When we're moving, we, we've moved now to our new site. So, Bishop was speaking in, at the cathedral about what we had been through and how God had used the whippings and the lashings and the tears to take us to a new place. And as he was preaching, I was thinking, it's true, those were very wild times for me. And I used to weep a lot, personally and privately. In my prayer time, I, I, I used to be so frightened sometimes, not knowing what next. When they bomb your husband's office, thinking that he's there and he's not there, they set fires all over the church. When you yourself are in danger, when you are coming, they call you and they say, no, stop here, come here, we'll pick you up from here. And the day that we were attacked, my children were up in the Sunday school. I was on the floor of the church. My husband was either in the basement or on the floor of the church. I, and during second service, I sit at the back. And this was during the second service when we were attacked with broken bottles, whatever, out of nowhere. And people were screaming, pregnant women were passing out, blood was on the floor. And I was wondering, how do I get to my children up there? And everybody knew them. Even just by their color, you don't need much to go by. At the same time, people were looking for me and taking Bishop and I downstairs to the basement. And I could hear the screams. And, the, and I couldn't go through the enemy territory also to get my children. And I thought that if even I went, that is what would bring their focus on me to see me with three children scrambling to come down. It would look funny. You know, so I didn't know what to do. So when we're taken down there, we just, they turned off all the lights so that it wouldn't be like there was anybody there. And we just spoke in tongues. At that time, there was no office, there was no basement, there was no air conditioning the way it is today. So I just sat there and I said, at least I can speak in tongues. Maybe when you speak in tongues, God knows the prayer topic you are supposed to be praying. And then maybe something will come out of it. And by the grace of God, they came out unscathed. They were okay. You know, but that was a season. A season of attacks, fires, insecurity, not knowing, government coming in, mowing down the walls, all that was a whole period. But I was trying to remember that, no, there's more to it personally for me than just this account. And I could not remember the details at all. And up to now, I cannot remember. I just remember that it was a very difficult and painful period. But I have lost the, the details of the story. So even when I preach, I don't remember the details. I just know that it was a difficult time. But I'm not able to express it or explain it the way I would have liked to. But I just have to say that change has not been easy. And... For instance, I, I'm, I was used to my husband being a pastor in the church. Even though when he's pastoring, when he finishes preaching, he'll do counseling, whatever, I don't really see him much. In fact, when I go to church, to me, he's like somebody doing his work, and I'm also somewhere. And then when I come home, then I know him. Do you understand? But now he's not there at all. It's also another season. He's not there at all. He goes to preach elsewhere. So I don't see him at all. At first I would see him, but maybe afar. But now I don't see him at all. And during the week, he leaves on Wednesday for healing Jesus Christ. He used to travel like people have invited him to travel. But now it's another era of healing Jesus Christ. 
and he has always come home to eat. Now I have to pack food for him to take with him. To healing Jesus crusade. I have always been the one to serve my husband. Now I've just lost all that. It's just gone. It just doesn't exist anymore. So he comes from the crusade. It just doesn't exist. And I've had to adjust to all this. And for me, the greatest challenge has been that the change is not one. Let's say if it's healing Jesus Christ, then I know, okay, it's healing. I'll adjust to healing, healing Jesus, not preaching on Sundays. <laughs> Different things all coming together at the same time. And I just look sometimes and say, God, how can I survive? At the beginning of this year, I ask God, how do you endure? How do I endure? In the maze of all this. How? And the Lord said to me. That is why I always tell you to pray. Give us this day. Our daily bread. You have to live one day. At a time. And he took me to. The, the book of Exodus. In the world. And he said don't you see that. The children of Israel. I always gave them manna just for a day. And don't you know that I told them not to store it. And when they stored it, the quails or whatever, they turned into worms. Because I just want you to live one day at a time. So if you can do that, you will endure. And I said, God, it's true, eh? Just give me grace. So what is on the plate today? That's what I deal with. What is on the plate tomorrow? I will get grace for that when I get there. So I don't cross my bridges before I get to them. And that is one of the keys to endure. And that is how to endure a changing season. The Bible says about the virtuous woman, she's not afraid of winter. Why? Because she has made adequate preparation. You have to be prepared spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically for any change that will come. Because change makes you feel like giving up. You know, there are times I tell my husband, I think God has the wrong woman. And he gets very upset. He says, no, I think God has a thousand percent the right woman. And I say, no. God has the wrong man. He gets very upset. See, when you say such things, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> you know, but there are times when I feel, no. God, you should have chosen a very strong person. Choleric, mover. You know? Not a frail person like me. That's what sometimes I think. You know, but God says, well, it's not about you. Anything I call you for, I equip you for. You know. Bible says, if you are willing and obedient, you eat of a good... The two willingness and obedience, that's all I'm asking you for. And even in our personal lives, there's also a lot of change. I preached a message some years ago, the woman in the midst of change. But I don't know where it is now. Mind, do you have a copy? No. Okay. So, but maybe you can produce it for them later. So, because these days, when I'm at meetings, I realize that some things have been preached already, so I don't go back to preach them. I feel that you can get the message and then we can move on. But in your own personal life, when you set out as a single person, it's different. When you go and get married, it's different. And the way you have children, it's different. When your children are growing, they are teenagers, it's also something else. When my son was going to boarding school, I wept. But my husband laughed. He had gone for healing Jesus Christ. He called me. So where are you coming from? I said, I just dropped my baby off. Oh, come on. He's not a baby. But 
I was so heartbroken. I said, this boy is going to sleep in a strange bed. Wake up in a strange place. Go and bath with strange people. How did my son end up here? By Ghana to boarding school is the way forward. And also I believe that he should go so that he will know how to live with other people. But at the same time, it wasn't easy for me. You know, when he went in to put his things in, and he came out, they had shouted at him, and I could see that he was shaken. So even the food I had for him, mommy, just take it away. I don't want it. And I, and I was leaving my son like that. It wasn't easy for me. But I had to go through that change. And the year after, the second one to left. So I started to tell people, look, you better space your children a bit more, okay? <laughs> no one year. Just into my own personal family things. I'm also adjusted to the man I'm married to's life. Then I'm adjusted to my own life. Because when your husband is not there, you also get on autopilot spiritually. Movie, movie, movie. So when he rings, I'm coming. Say, oh, but I have this to do, this to do, this to do. I have to wind up now. That's also another challenge. Amen. But enduring the different seasons. There were times in my life when I wanted to go out to work, but I couldn't go out to work because there was no one to look after my children. And I didn't have a job. I had to go and look for. I didn't have a job. And I had two children. My husband had come full time. And the church was not able to pay him. So I had to survive somehow. But I thank God that those were the seasons when I got closer to it. Because affliction draws you closer to God. Affliction drives you to God and, and you begin to know his worth more because of what you have been through. And when I was practicing as a lawyer, there were times when I added to my life selling of clothes. And I used to sell clothes in the office where I was. You know? Yo, this, this is nice. I'll go and take it from my cousin. Sell. Then at that time, I was not very experienced in ministry, so... There was a lady in the woman with direction who was very hard up. She didn't have anything. She had children. And she saw me selling the thing. She said, oh, I would like to sell some. Just let me take you to the source. I gave her some to sell. And she never paid the woman back. And the woman came back and said, I've added it to your debt. So pay. All my profits. You know, but when I look back, I realize that my life has been enriched by all these things. And when I talk to people that do this, do that, there are things I've done before. It's not like you are sitting on some elitist and then, you know, you are just a bishop and you are just telling us, do this because that brings me back to the missionary meeting. I said, let's look for ideas of what we are going to do. Otherwise, idleness will kill us. So we started to, and I brought a man who was a mechanical engineer and had changed on his own accord to become a poultry farmer. And who is now a millionaire, has built houses, has bought cars, and that week I bought three brand new cars, all paid for. You know, and I, I, I brought my, I said, tell us your story. So he told us, identify a need and meet it. And he said that anything that disturbs you, sometimes you move to a country, you say, there are no good schools here, everything is so rotten. It's a, it's a need. It's something you can do something about. Amen. Don't think that somebody else has to come in. Then after that, I said, let's bring ideas. Okay, why don't you do Hiring of wedding gowns, where you are, maybe to work. Now, you can do selling of African clothes. You can do, and then there was a missionary's wife who is advanced in the business. So she also got up and she spoke and all that. 
And I cannot tell you the number of ideas that came. And as they've gone back, many of them are sending me reports. Not things that you have a degree for. Not things that you've been trained for, but I can see they are happier women. Amen. Because you have to be able to adjust. This man, he was not adjusting because of the ministry. He was adjusting because life. He was a mechanical engineer, but he was able to, and he said when he became a poultry farmer, people said to him, why have you gone so low? What's wrong? Your tribe should not be doing such jobs. That's what he was told. You know, so the bread of idleness and, and the not being prepared for the seasons of change. As soon as the season comes, you must change. And sometimes the seasons come unannounced. But as soon as they arrive, we must say, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to adjust to this new season that I've come to. Bishop was preaching about seasons yesterday. He said that the seasons never change. So if you say that, oh, it's winter, but for me, I'll wear my summer things. I will never change. You stand to lose, not the season. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But you have to say, no, I have to go and get a winter jacket. I need some boots. I need... You have to adjust to the season. And I promise you, in ministry, there are many seasons. In the, even the women's ministry, there's been many seasons. When I started, I had a small group like this, a small Bible study group. In the TV room at NTC. I had no big plans or no big ambitions. Let's just meet like this. And then it began to grow. Okay, let's have our first women's convention. We didn't even have a name. So, okay, let's call it the complete woman. So we organized and we had it. I don't know whether it was just Friday night or Saturday night. We had our first convention. It was very powerful by the grace of God. It was as we went along that my husband said to me, Oh, but you need a name for what you are doing. Let me give you a name. Daughter, you can make it. That's a powerful name. We'll run with it. And as we increase, before the other things came up, that oh, now there are branches, now there are metro churches, but it was not like that. Different seasons and learning to walk in the different seasons of your life. Some of you, you came from very close family ties. Your mother, your sisters, yourself, your brothers, you all eat together, you flow. Now you have gone to marry. Your husband is not even in the house. You are used to a close-knit family and it's not happening. It's a season of change. You have to ask yourself, how am I going to still survive and not allow my heart to be damaged in the midst of this time of change? God will have to give you wisdom. You have to be imitators of those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. And even those of us who have inherited some of the promises, we are still on the road. When you inherit, you don't just sit down. You still keep walking. Hallelujah. Because there are more things ahead that God has not revealed to us yet. As we go to the Kodesh, the church has suddenly exploded. It's grown. Especially the third service. New people have joined the church. That means more pastoral care. That means more intense prayer and whatever it takes. Whatever you were doing times three or times two or whatever. It's also another season. When you are not used to something. But so she does not eat the bread of idleness. She stretches out her hand to the needy. These are the things that will keep us going so that we don't give up. But we endure until the end. 
Hallelujah. Ministry you can give up no matter how high you have gone. There's a very powerful pastor who spoke with us, with Bishop at a conference here. Our first time when we came to Joburg to preach at Grace Bible Church, 1995. Powerful minister. He was staying with us at the same hotel. And we got to know him. He was from another country. And he had so many branches, about 17 or so. And then with the passage of time, he had 30. You know, he was a pastor doing well. The churches were thriving, whatever. But I think that there were different seasons in the ministry. So after a while, we met him. So I've come to Vitz University. I'm doing a master's in finance and something. It's really, you need that for your church work. Maybe that's why you are. Oh, no. I, I got tired of people. And how people can treat you. And I decided to take a break. And during that break, I decided to read a master's in finance. After that, I'll go back. But I was tired of people. So, I found it a bit strange, but we took it in good faith that he's tired of people. That's why he's... Then we went to that country and met him. And he said, oh... I've handed over all my churches. I now just have oversight. And and I've gone back to the secular world. Really? Why? So in the secular world, I get more opportunity to meet unbelievers. And to witness to them. And all that. Really? Is that the vision God is giving? Oh yes, that's the vision. But I still have oversight over my churches. Okay. And this time we've been here, we asked, where is he? Oh. He's left his country. He now lives in America. Nothing to do with the ministry again. But this was a great man of God. And my husband said, this is, we have seen a lot of these things. It is not when you are small and then you give up. But you need endurance for any level that you are on. To continue, to press on, to be on that road. And many times when we give up, we think that we are just giving up to rest. But actually, Satan has plans for you. Plans not of prosperity, but of disaster. To to bring you to his expected end. So we asked about other preachers, great people in South Africa. What about this person? Oh, he believed that he was a psalmist called. So then he, he migrated. He went to work in Nigeria. He was doing well there. But it was more for commercial gain. Now he's not in the ministry anymore. He doesn't do any worship anymore. He said, and we have their videos, we have their DVDs, and you should see them ministering. And the crowds clapping, weeping at the move of God. They are not in ministry anymore. And we are still on that road. Hey, we can't say that it's not us, it's them. No! We said, what is it that does not make them endure? The subtle suggestions of Satan. Your heart will be broken, you will be offended. Sometimes you even be offended against God who seems to be deaf and dumb. Amen. And all that makes you want to give up. And even Abraham, he was tempted to give up. That's why he had Ishmael. Let me have something that looks like the promise. Close and parallel, but not the same. Let me have 
that uh, and then God said, you, you, you can't outwit me. This is not my heir. The promise that I said that you had to wait for, that is the same promise. And he had to keep on waiting. <laughs> He's a father of faith. It didn't fall to him on a silver platter. One of the verses that touches me, Hebrews eleven seventeen, I believe, says that Abraham, when he was called, he went out not knowing where he was going. It's a very serious verse. How can I not know where I'm going? At least he heard God's voice. What about Sarah? You didn't hear. He came to call you. When he said, where are you going? He says that, ah, we are going. It takes faith, eh? It takes faith in the unseen to walk on that road. And then he says, oh, that God who spoke, he says he's going to give us a promise. And then the promise too is not coming. Because most of the time we feel that after we have paid that sacrifice, he too, he should do his part. But he is not like a Lebanese man who says, money on my right, house on my left, exchange. That's not God. <laughs> he shows up at his own time. And the more I try to exp- uh, understand him, the more baffled I become. Why did he not just give Jesus some poison, sleeping tablet, something to just die? Do you have to bring him naked, put him on a cross, nail him, everybody see him naked? Why? Why all this? Could he not have drunk something and just died quietly? Every Easter I say, oh God, your ways are sometimes beyond. But once I was asking, oh, why did Jesus have to die that way? Your own son. He said that. Because if I had given him poison like you are suggesting, that even the people in the Texan prisons, they are just giving lethal um, injections. And then they die, you know, quietly and silent. If I had done that, no blood would have been shed. There would have been no rejection. People would not have derided him. The diseases, the scars, the stripes, all that would not have come up. And then my people's salvation would not have been complete. I said, ah, that's why I'm not God. Because I believe in peaceful methods. Mahatma Gandhi. Non-violence. Amen. But we have to endure to the end. And Lady Pastor, you have said we have to endure different seasons. We have to endure different stages of ministry. We have to endure our own personal and family changes. We have to endure when we don't see God's hand and when we pray and he doesn't seem to hear and all that. We have to endure. But how do we endure? How? The Bible says we're against hope, believed in hope. <laughs> against hope. Oh. Against hope. What does it mean? Contrary to hope. It means the thing that you are looking at is against hope. But you decide that you believe in hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sometimes you don't believe because you have evidence. You don't believe because it looks good. You don't believe because you are encouraged. But you believe only because he lives. That's the only reason. So I tell people, that's why I keep saying, he gives you beauty for ashes. Because we look at the ashes and we say, you know what? It's not ashes. There's no reason to live for anything. But God says that even when it's ashes, I can bring beauty. Who against hope believed in hope? That is what made Abraham survive. Against hope, he believed in hope. Are there times when whatever you, you seem to be looking at is against hope? Against hope. When you look at it, oh, this thing. And then we start to count the years. Lady Pastor has been 20 years, 25 years. So Lady Pastor, 
against hope. Believed in hope. And another thing he did, giving glory unto God. Romans chapter 4. Let's read it. Let's read from um, verse 17. He's supposed to, I can't read it. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and called those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, hmm. so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. <laughs> he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Amen. I want you to look at verse 20. Okay, we've looked at who against hope. <laughs> in verse 18, believed in hope that he may become a father of many nations. According to what? That which had been spoken. Not according to what people are saying about you. Not according to how you feel. Not according to how painful it is. But according to that which had been spoken. Against hope, he believed in hope. It means that he looked at the thing. It was against hope. But he believed in hope. Amen. Amen. And not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Amen. Which was as good as dead. That situation was dead. Hey, do you have dead situation? It was dead. And the Bible is not saying, you know, it looked dead, but his own body was dead. The body that they said would reproduce a child was a dead body. Even if it were a young man's body and the promise has not come, I say, oh, we believe God about this one. He considered not his own body, which was dead. As good as dead, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> Nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Too dead, even if it's one, and your wife is young, you take it like that. It is against hope, I tell you, and many times in your life you will come to niches and junctions where it is against hope. Considering what has been said, considering the judgment and the verdict against you, you don't see how you come out of that thing. He wavered not at the promise of God in unbelief, but was strong in faith. How? Giving glory to God. We need to give glory to God. Not for the deadness of our bodies. But for the fact that you said it. I can't feel it. I can't, I'm actually weeping. But I thank you that you are God. That's all. That is what will make your faith grow. Giving glory to God. I, I like the King James. Please can somebody read it. He wavered not at the promise of God. In James, verse 20. He staggered no, no, no. Verse 20. Verse 20. He did not waver at all. I think you're on this new King James. Oh. One of the original King yes. James. 
20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. He was strong in faith. And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able. Believe in God's ability and not yours. That he was able also to perform it. If you look at Lazarus' situation, you say, Jesus, he's not coming because he's embarrassed. Ah, he didn't come. Uh, Lazarus has died. He's embarrassed. That's why he's not coming. I don't know. You know that you are preaching to people for three days. They will be hungry. You wait. Huh? On the third day, when the Bible says they are so weak, they can't walk. You are now asking that, what can we do? Are you not God? Don't you see ahead of time? You come and deliver us from Egypt. Instead of leading us to a road where there's land, you take us to the Red Sea. Impossible situations. We stand before the sea. We don't know how to cross. Why do you bring us before the sea in the first place? So that what? That he can make a road in the sea. The ability of God is mind-blowing. And usually with our human mind, we cannot comprehend. So sometimes I, I tell God, you know, I think I'm having a lot of unbelief and doubt. Help my unbelief. And help me believe. Being frank with God. Because the Bible is frank. He considered not the deadness of his own body. But if we were writing it, we feel that I'll be embarrassing God by writing this. So let me write that. He didn't look at his condition. A general, you know type of nice statement. I wouldn't say deadness of Sarah's womb. I would say, no, Sarah's condition. I will not say it as it is. But the Bible tells us that the two were dead. Dead body, dead womb. What can come out of it? Only a miracle. And usually we survive the changing seasons and difficult by believing that when everything comes to an end, God can still perform a miracle. That's the only thing that makes us endure. Sometimes you go through disloyalty. Say, me, I'm not going to love people again. Oh. People are this, that, that, that. No. Love them again. It's a miracle. God will help you. You will survive. Amen. I think that the greatest thing in ministry, if you want opportunity to be offended, come into the ministry. That's where you'll be offended the most. Amen. You have much opportunity to be offended. And if we don't hold you, you will get into the boxing ring and spoil all the church. Because you are sorting out your issues yourself. But I've come to see that when I leave my issues to God, he solves them better. My only problem with God is the way he delays. That's the only beef I have with him. Is that he can really delay. When I tell him, God, this is happening. God, arrest the situation. God, rise up. Let go. And then he seems to be asleep. Like the disciples in the boat. Why do you wait for waves, storms, and things? Then you are asleep on a pillow under the boat. You are not even where the action is. You are asleep. And we have to wake you and ask you, carest not thou that we perish? Don't you care? And that's one of the temptations when things are hard. We feel that he does not care. But we are afraid as Christians to say to him, our friend that I think he doesn't care. Mm. 
It's like it's blasphemy. You know, we feel guilty. We want to do what is right. But the same time, we feel them and we don't know. But David spoke to God frankly. He said, why have you deserted me? I go, I become a proverb and a Bible. People are laughing at me. Why? Amen. But I believe that patience. Many marriages will work if only we had patience. Many relationships will work if only we had patience. Many churches will work if we had patience. Many, the callings of God in our lives would come forth if only we had patience. But when we come, we say, oh no, what they are giving me, I'm above that. I don't have the patience to be a shepherd before I become a, this, a lay minister. Before I become, I'm in a hurry. Do you know how anointed I am? And we never become what God wants us to become. One thing I can assure you when you are growing in God is that you have much opportunity to be broken. The higher you go, the more broken you become. Why? So the more anointing can be released. Because it was only when the alabaster box was broken that the ointment could be released. So as you go higher, more brokenness. That's why I'm surprised when people are growing and they are not humbler. It surprises me. Why are they still proud? Because as you grow, you become humbler and you realize a lot of things don't depend on you. Nana, isn't it? You become cool and sober. When you are young, you have a lot of things to say like this one. When she talks in my office, I can just see her age. You know, oh, but I told my husband, he too, why is he? I see the way. But why? If you are pregnant, does it mean you should be spitting? So, why do people do? I say, you wait, <laughs> wait, because you don't know what yours will be. Do <laughs> you see? So, the, the the more you grow, the more broken you become. And remember, Jesus said, "This is my body, broken." If the Son of Man was broken, why was He broken? For us, so that He could be shared. The more the anointing, the more brokenness you will have. And brokenness also makes you more dependent on God. And Jesus continues to say, let's have communion so that you will remember that my body was broken for you. For the entire world, all those who are saved, that body was broken so that they will be partakers of it. And he wants us to always remember his brokenness so that when we are also broken, Will not say, Lord, I want to leave the altar now. I never said I wanted to be sacrificed. Amen. And finally, Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hallelujah. Not let's just run, but let's run with patience. How do you say patience in Zulu? Vegeza. Pengezena. It's Vegezela. The B is soft. Vegezela. Vegezela. Let us run with Vegezela. The race that is said. Not just run. Not just activity, but with patience. Be patient with people. Be patient with the sheep God brings your way or your husband's way. Be patient with church members. Be patient with yourself. 
Be patient with your husband who does not even deserve your love. Be patient. <laughs> Amen. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we run with patience? Looking unto Jesus. Not looking unto yourself. You give up. Not looking up to the person you are supposed to be. Maybe, you know, when we forgive people, we feel that the people should be very grateful. You should be very grateful that I'm nice to you even though you don't deserve my kindness. You should be very grateful that I overlook all your things. But it's not, it's not a favor. It's your duty as a child of God. Amen. So we look and say, he doesn't even appreciate how much I forgive him. He's not supposed to appreciate it. Looking unto Jesus. If you look at man, you give up. If you look at yourself, you give up. If you look at your ability, you give up. If you look at your own strength, you give up. But if you look at Jesus, you will endure. Hallelujah. Looking unto Jesus. Many times we get so busy that so many things take our view and our attention. So we forget who we should look at. But in the midst of that, let's, let's find a place to look unto Jesus. Why? Because he's the beginning and the end of our faith. He begins with us and he's with us for the middle part and he sees us through to the end. We must endure. Jesus said, if you endure, I will give you a crown of life. Be thou faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. When you went to stand the lady and you were saying the vows, till death as do part, you were echoing what Jesus says. Be thou faithful unto death, not unto when he behaves well. Not unto when he subject to good behavior, no. Unto death. When you were saying, you didn't know that that's what the vows meant. For better, for worse. You said in your head, what can be worse? I'm so in love. <laughs> what can be worse? You know, so I pray that God will help us, you know, so God bless you and we pray that our fellowship or ministry grows from strength to strength. Amen. Praise the Lord and welcome to the question and answer segment of this program. I realize during my conferences and even after that we all come and we have questions, we have dilemmas and we have issues Everybody has issues, no matter who you are. The woman with the issue of blood was not the only woman with issues. Hers was an issue of blood, but we have issues in all our lives. And I am no wise sage or any super woman, but I know by experience. For the Bible says, I have learned by experience, you know. So I know ex by experience that the Bible has the answer, that the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in a very dark and dreary world. And it is the counsel of God that by his grace I seek to bring to the people of God. I have no wisdom of my own, but only the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from the word of God. Therefore, let us just relax, trust in the Holy Spirit to bring us answers, trust in the Holy Spirit to be a wonderful counselor in this segment, and trust God 
to bring us answers. Beloved, I am not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Cause Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. As you listen, if you don't have a question, you don't have to force to have one. Maybe all your questions have been answered. Okay. LP, if you have a bad dream about someone you know, is it okay to tell the person about the dream? Because sometimes the dream comes to pass, and, the per- and then you blame yourself for not warning the person. Um, hmm. You need a lot of wisdom and discretion. Because sometimes God gives a dream about something He's going to do. It doesn't always expect us to tell the person. And I think that the best way to share it with the pastor so that the pastor can then tell the person. But if you are the lady pastor yourself, then you have to warn the person. But God reveals, they say, to redeem. You know, like when he revealed to Pharaoh that there was going to be famine in Egypt. Then he raised Joseph to bring a solution to the bad dream. Do you understand? So when you have that bad, you must pray for the person. You must ask God, so what should the person do? You know, and so when you reveal it to the person, you don't just, uh, I dreamt that you were dead. Your husband had left you and this and that and that. But what should the person do about it? It's something you should also. And not everybody can handle certain dreams. So you must be led. So sometimes you must seek counsel before you go and open your mouth. How do you deal with a situation where a shepherd leaves the church due to offenses and after some time comes back more willing and committed than before but does not want to write the exams like lay schools. Um, the shepherd doesn't want to write the exam. Then perhaps he has not fully overcome the offense. You see, so he, he's decided that he'll just be a backbencher. But you just keep encouraging him and praying for him and talking to him about pain and offenses. Maybe he should read Forgiveness Made Easy and that may help him. How do you encourage a woman going through divorce who against hope? Believed in hope. Amen. I've had some Wonderful, sometimes lady pastors go through divorce through no fault of theirs. The person just changes. A very serious crusade he becomes something else. He changes. And they don't want the divorce. The person wants the divorce. And the divorce goes through. What do they do? Against hope. They have to believe in hope. And we have to be a support to them. There was a particular lady pastor. She's so well today. I asked her, what made you so healthy? 
she said that the presence of you and Bishop in my life, because you were always there to listen, to talk. So every, at every stage, I was able to talk. And I think that that coupled with time brought healing. You know, so you also need a support group. Not just yourself. I'm going through this myself. and I'm, No. You need somebody you can talk to. Somebody who will encourage you. Not somebody who will say, yes, just go out now and get a new boyfriend. After all, what? No. Somebody who will give you godly advice. Amen. You need a, a hand to lean on. A shoulder to lean on. You cannot go it by yourself. The Bible says two are better than one. For when one falls, the other will lift him up. You see, so you'll be going through a lot and, and emotional pain is such that, such that you go back and forth. You think you are healed and something happens again. You cry. You, so you need somebody to walk you up and down that road so you come out. And believe God that you are going to be healed. We believe God for restoration. Remember Naomi, she lost two sons and she lost her husband and she lost her daughters-in-law except Ruth and she had nothing. But at the end of the story, the Bible says that the people said to her that you have now bec- he has become, God has come to you a nourisher and a restorer of life. So you can dream again. It's not the end of the world. Amen. Amen. If your husband is a missionary, are you allowed to work in the secular world as a wife? You are. But sometimes you have a lot of immigration issues. You know, just like... Um, if you are married to a diplomat, at least in Switzerland, at a certain level, you are not allowed to work. They will not give you a permit to work. Or like my good friend who is in America, Dr. Say's wife, she has been there for is it, 11 years. She's a lawyer. Her husband is a doctor. And then they were raising their three children. She has tried to do a bit of bar association exam, to do, but she was still in the midst of making babies and so she has never really worked in that sense. You know, and so that you look at yourself and say, so for 10 years that I came to sit here, this is not the, mission, the ministry. What have I done? You know, but she has been active in church. She has raised you. I tell her that sometimes you have to comfort <laughs> yourself with some of these things. So it happens that people get frustrated. But I think that like the virtuous woman, you can look for wool and flax with your hands and find something to do. Amen. If your husband wants to be a full-time pastor and you don't feel the call of God on your life, can you can you something hold, hold on to, your, uh, work. to your work? Yes, you don't have to become a lady pastor because your husband is a pastor. It is a personal calling. And you have your own challenges. It is not a anointing by transference. There's no such thing. Anointed by transference is impartation, but not because you are just related as husband and wife. And if you don't hear God calling you yourself, usually you are likely to give up. If you don't get your own personal conviction as you go along, you will give up at a point. You say, no, I didn't hear God's voice. No, it wasn't me. No, so you need a personal conviction of your own. So don't feel pressurized that, oh, all the pastor's wives are lady pastors, like lady pastor Adelaide. And as for me, I'm not, you know, but consider your heart because sometimes too, we love the world so much that we don't want to hear God's voice. One pastor's wife said to me, as for me, lady pastor, when my husband became a lady, uh, a lay pastor, I told him I'm against it. <laughs> he didn't listen to me. He went into full time. I told him against, I'm, I'm against this thing. 
So now he's on his own as he's doing what? I asked her, when your husband was working in the secular world, I knew him. Can you not see that God has provided more for you than uh, me? I told him that I'm not with him on that one. You know, so she wouldn't support him in anything. So she's there and he's there and they're somehow trying to flow. But ask yourself why. Sometimes it's fear that doesn't make us obey God's call. Sometimes it's the feeling of inadequacy. Sometimes the husband anoints us with his work. So we say this thing, I know that if I become a lady pastor, you'll be very excited. I will never do it. (laughs) And we think that we are doing it for him. But when you stand before God, he will ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? You see? I think that having a personal call of my own and a personal answer to God makes you live a certain way. You see? And it, it minimizes, if you like, your resentment of the ministry because you're also doing it. And God has called him. Should he obey you like Eve and eat the apple and bring all of us to a point where we shouldn't be? I dare not say my husband should obey me. He should obey God. Although, sometimes to obey God is hard. It's always better. You see. So. What if, what if I as the wife want to be a missionary and the husband doesn't want, doesn't wish to be, doesn't want to allow me to go you are a woman under authority. I'm sorry. You cannot take off on a missionary journey of your own. That is one of the trying things of marriage. So you must ask yourself, am I prepared to submit to this thing standing here? This? Because a woman's call, a woman's release is greatly tampered by the kind of man she's married to. Greatly. And I believe that that's why Catherine Coleman, for instance, did not marry. Because when she went for somebody's husband for eight years, she just used to dress and sit on the stage and not minister. Hardly. I think the book says she ministered like twice. And she would always sit there and weep. She'd be wearing a hat and she'd be weeping. Because she knew that God had called her. Her husband was an evangelist, but she knew what God had called her to do. And she had to later leave the man. The man, he went to jail, a lot of problems. And after that, she didn't marry again. Amy Semple McPherson, the same. But she told the man, I've followed you enough, you to follow me now. There's no verse like that <laughs> in the Bible. Maria Woodworth Etta, she was a woman of God, but her husband did not support her in the ministry. He didn't say don't go, but every time she went for crusades, then he would also go for women. He was unfaithful to her. And then he died. And she remarried. And this one went with her on the missionary journeys and supported her. I'm not saying pray that your husband will die and then you will get one. <laughs> but all these people grappled with real issues. And I feel that to be a woman in ministry, you, your issues are more than a man. Your issues are more. Because as you are even going to preach or you are praying, worshiping, Lord, let me hear from you. Then your husband comes. Yeah. So have you done the what I don't care how anointed he is, he will come and ask you all these questions. You know? But when my husband is praying, I open the door. 
His face becomes. So, excuse me, I was just asking. But when I'm praying, he just opens the door. Mommy, you were saying that this, you know. <laughs> it's just different. I was in Kumasi trying to hear from God. So I locked my door. I went with my little daughter. She was standing at the back. Knocking, knocking. I said, Paula, please go. What are you doing? I'm doing something. Knock, knock. So then I opened. I said, Paula, I need to hear from God. Okay, I'll come to your own speak. I knew it was not true, but she came. And then as I was looking at her, have you finished hearing from God? Have you finished? <laughs> but if it's her father going to preach, she may go to the room, but I will go and take her out. Well, her daddy has to wait on God. Come. But for me, there's nobody to do that for me. My sons, my children, even usually when I'm dressed and I'm going out of the door, then they bring their issues. I need to attend piano lessons. Have you given? I said, why do you wait till this moment? All the four. Everybody is bringing their need. Sometimes plus the father. So what should I do? <laughs> That's a woman in ministry. When my husband is traveling, well, I don't want to be him because he goes to the Kodesh, sorts out this. I don't want to be him. But he takes his bag. He's packed. He's finished. But I have to look. The freezer, what is there? What else do I have to buy? What are the menu things I have to write? Who is coming to look after them? Who is picking them up from where? Issues. So, a woman in ministry, you just fight and pray for grace to survive. You know? And even sometimes, my, my daughter used to tell me, you are not a lady pastor. Because she sees me in the house, I'm cooking. <laughs> the next time she sees me, I'm wearing a daughter standing on the seat, then she'll be shouting, daughter, I can't make it. Daughter, I can't make it. But when she sees her father, she's not surprised to see him. You know, so... I mean, that's how it is. And every summer when I have to go away, because their holiday is long, I have to go with them. And I don't necessarily enjoy it. Because in America, you don't have any help. I have to bath them in the morning, try and wake up early, catch a word from God. And the last time I was going to Switzerland, they were sick, 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 running temperature. I put them on the plane and I took them. It is one of the most trying preaching times I've ever had. But I looked behind me. My husband was not there. As I was going, he was also going for healing Jesus. Who do I leave them with? And the program was starting. They had hired halls. People had taken time off. I mean, the way it was. So I'll preach and then I'll come. See what's happening. What? Throwing up on the flight. It wasn't easy, but what will I do? I have to force to make a way. That's a woman's whatever. Such as whilst you are stirring the food, you are listening to some worship tape or some. So I always say it, I call beside me, don't wait for the perfect time because it may never come. But the little, little chunks you get, the niches, use them to reach, to tap into what, and I, I believe God will give you grace. You know? To even know what to say and what to, you know? This weekend I've been with my husband, I've just been marrying. I mean, I have my shirt for me. I mean, so. Now that he is gone, I, 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 I believe God will anoint me anew. <laughs> Amen. And it's just like that. You know? When I'm in the room with him, he starts to pray, put on worship, whatever. Maybe I also want to pray. I cannot pray at that same time. Because I have to go away. I have to look for somewhere. I have to. And my children will look for me everywhere. So I have to travel far. Traffic. When I go there to, because the family, I was going to see my car park. 
they start to come. Hey, so you so I have to go and park somewhere else at the back and come through the front just so that I can have a little time with God. You know, so a woman in ministry is a d- different kettle of fish. But the Bible says that I will glory in my infirmity. Why? So that the grace of God will rest upon me. So. I just wanted to ask if um, that calling in you could be aborted because of the difficulties yeah. that you go through. I believe it. Yeah. And, and how do you answer to God, you know, on that day? Would you say it because of marriage? Would you say that grace was not sufficient? Would you say it wasn't easy? I think that um, the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. So there's, there will never be a clear course that, oh, now, my mother-in-law was telling me, when you have children, you worry about them. When they become teenagers, you worry about them. When they go to the university, you start worrying about their future partners. Who are they going to marry? When they marry, you, want, you worry about if their spouses are treated the well. So I said to her, ah. So it never, I said, it never ends till you lie down in your grave. That's what she says. It's like she said that even when you are far away, you see them, or they come and visit you, you look. Is it well with them? Is it okay? Are they happy? Then now you have even more people to worry about. You've added the grandchildren too. So there's never a clear coast. But I think that you have to fight. Just like we fight to go to work, sometimes we don't feel like going. Well, we fight. Why? Because the salary is important to us. We fight to do something. So we should also fight to keep the call of God in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? I just want you to take a few seconds to talk to God yourself about what you have heard. Don't let it just be a formality, but mean it from your heart. Talk to him about endurance. Talk to him about your breaking point. Talk to him about your struggles in ministry and sometimes your desire to give up. Talk to him about the things that you don't talk to anyone about. And ask him for strength. To give him glory even in adverse situations. To have hope against hope. Only he can do that for us. Help him to ask him to help your unbelief. And to take away the hardness of your heart. That makes it impossible for you to believe. Ask him to heal your disappointment. And your despair. And ask him to renew your strength. Oh, Mayonde ne mamala bodo musto bakada maya bedo mashande. Mayonde ne kayanda na mamala bodo mushende ne mamaha. Me kayanda na mamala bodo mukayanda na mamalaya. Me kodo mushonde ne mamamaha. Me kayondo no kedo mamamama. Leba bande ne mama. Mayonde ne mamamama. Kedo mashondo ne mamama. Ele kara mashonde ne mama oh ne kere mashonde ne mamalaya and i will run to you 
to your words of truth, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Yes, I will run the race oh, till I see your face. Oh, let me live in the glory of your grace. And I will rise you. Oh, to your words of truth. Oh, not by, oh, it's not by power, yes, but by the Spirit of God. Yes, I will run the race till I see your face oh let me live in the glory 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 let it be your prayer the glory, oh, let me live in the glory. Then the glory, oh, let me live in the glory of the last time. Live in the glory of your grace. Yes, Father, thank you for your word that has come to us. We confess that many times we have gotten tired inside. Many times we have gotten weary. Many times our hands have grown weak. And even if it's not now, in the days ahead, sometimes our hands are going to grow weak. And our hearts are going to want to faint. But we thank you for your word that has come to us. I pray for grace upon every life here. I pray for renewed strength in the name of Jesus. I pray, oh God, that we will outlast the enemy. I pray, oh God, that we will not grow weary in well-doing. But we will hold on Lord. I pray for the spirit of endurance to come upon each and every one of us. I pray oh God for fortitude. I pray for strength in the inner man by your spirit oh God. I pray oh God that we will not grow weary in well doing but Lord you will open our eyes to see you as we look unto Jesus. May we see your power. May we see your faithfulness. May we see your grace. May we see your goodness oh God. Father help Help us beyond ourselves. Help us beyond our strength. Help us beyond our ability. Lift us up to the place where we have to be. Give us the grace to believe against hope, oh God. To believe in hope against hope, oh God. Cause us to give you the ashes so that you can give us beauty, oh God. Cause us to run and not to grow weary, oh God. To walk and not become faint, oh God. And it's only they that wait on you who shall have their strength renewed. I pray that you will give us that opportunity to wait on you. And I pray that you will come through to us. For Paul said, 
that we were tempted beyond strength, above measure, that we despaired even of life, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves, so that we may not trust in ourselves, but we may trust in the living God. Thank you that in all these things, your aim is to turn our faces so that we will trust in you and not in ourselves. We give you praise. I pray for the changing seasons of our lives. I pray for the seasons that come unannounced. I pray for the things we don't know we even have to grapple with. I ask for grace, sufficient grace for each journey, each destination, and each junction. Your word says that you are able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we imagine or even ask you for. Let it be so in the lives of your people today. I pray for each and every one of us that the call of God will not be aborted because of weariness, discouragement, and despair. I pray, O oh God, that your purposes for us will come to pass. And that through thick and thin, O oh God, you will give us the grace to fight and to prevail and to endure. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just finished hearing this message and I cannot leave you without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to say, Lady Reverend Adley, pray for me. I don't know whether I'll go to heaven or hell when I die. I'm not sure of where I will go or my destination. I want to make things right with God. I want to start afresh with God. I want Jesus to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. If you want to have Jesus as the Lord of your life, I just want to invite you to say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. Please wash me in the blood of Jesus. Take my life and come inside and be the Lord of my life. Thank you for coming to die for me, Jesus. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I may have eternal life. And thank you that by this prayer, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus, come in and be Lord of my life. Amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.